Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. This month is Ramadan, a holy month of fasting for 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. Coming up, we'll hear from Muslims living in Connecticut about how they observe the holiday and why. Are you one of them? We hope you join our conversation later. First, we want to check in on a disturbing story, especially for those who belong to a faith community. In New Haven last Sunday, a fire broke out at the Dianet Mosque. Luckily, no one was inside that afternoon, and the fire didn't completely destroy the mosque. But the damage meant no one could gather there during Ramadan. And a day later, fire investigators said they believe the fire was arson. The person or people responsible have not been found. But at a vigil last night in New Haven, community member Alicia Hernandez-Strong said that community has a message for the perpetrator. You may have burned down this mosque, but if you burn down any mosque, synagogue or church in our community, we will rebuild it every single time. Now, we wanted to uh, talk with members of the Dianet Mosque. That's on Middletown Avenue in New Haven. So joining us now by phone is Yasin Uzen. He's a Gateway Community College student who's been attending the Dianet Mosque since he was a child. Yasin, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Um, also with us via Zoom is another member of the mosque, Ahmed Tahir Noor, a graduate student in religious studies at Yale. Ahmed, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. I'm going to start with uh, Yasin. I understand you grew up, again, attending the Dianet Mosque. Can you describe for us the moment when you heard that the mosque was on fire last Sunday? Where were you? Um, I was actually at home. It was Mother's Day. My dad called me, so I couldn't really believe it, so I kind of raced down there. I like, I kind of thought it was like a little small fire, and when I looked at it, it was like much bigger than an electrical fire. And when you were there and you said that uh, you couldn't believe what you were seeing, were a lot of members of the community, the mosque community, gathered there as well? Yeah, everyone was like heartbroken and crying because it took so long to build. Mm -hmm. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking about this month being the holy month of Ramadan and uh, learning more about that religious holiday. But for you and for other members of the community, this fact that the mosque was on fire meant that you couldn't go there for evening prayers. So what have you been doing uh, during Ramadan uh, while uh, the mosque is, uh, again, uh, investigators are still continuing uh, to investigate that arson, uh, but also um, not being able to go there and pray? What has that been like for you? Yeah, so usually we go with, like, friends and family. But now, like, I've been uh, praying at home, eating at home, or, like, out with friends at their house. So kind of switching it up. When you heard a day after that fire uh, that uh, investigators said it was arson, what went through your mind? That that was pretty heartbreaking. Like, if it was, if it was like, an uh, electrical fire, you know, that, like, that happens. Like, arson, like, hearing that, like, it honestly broke my heart. 
Ahmed, again, you're joining us via Zoom, again, a graduate student at Yale. Uh, you came to New Haven um, from Turkey just a couple of years ago. So what, did, what does this mosque uh, mean for you um, as uh, uh, you and your family having been uh, fairly new uh, to Connecticut over the last two years? Yeah, thank you. When I came to New Haven in 2016, indeed, I was not aware that a large Turkish-American community lived in Connecticut. But then soon, my wife and I found out the community centered around this mosque, and it quickly became an, another home for us and as for many other families and friends. So my wife and I wanted to contribute to the community in the ways we can. So we started volunteering in the educational outreach. So the educational work at the mosque includes weekend schools, seminars, family gatherings, art workshops, religious congregations, etc. And I uh, was very happy to uh, offer whatever I can and also, I'm active in the Yale Muslim community. I'm also very grateful to those friends and uh, students and scholars from there who also contributed to the educational work in the mosque by giving seminars and sharing their experiences. So, Ahmed, all those activities that you list all on hold now um, after this arson, when you heard uh, fire investigators announce that they believe this fire was set intentionally, what was your reaction? Yeah, well, we were shocked in the first place, of course. How can such a hurtful and horrible attack happen? And although the community is, as I said, mainly Turkish-American, but it's not exclusively. It's very interested in outreach, very welcoming, and we had no prayer issues with anyone. And so it shocked us, and we feel like empty. Although we feel empty, we, don't, we are not left alone at all. So we are witnessing how people stand in solidarity with the Muslim community, which is so powerful and healing. Did you attend that vigil last night? Yeah, I was there with many of us. Describe who was there. You mentioned the outpouring of the community, uh, people from many uh, faith backgrounds or maybe not affiliated with any church or synagogue or mosque, but there uh, for showing their support for you and your members of the mosque. Yeah, it was so empowering indeed. So a very powerful gathering happened yesterday, friends uh, from all and uh, no faiths all coming together for a common purpose, for solidarity and peace. So it was very strong. Mm. I heard that uh, you have two children. How do you describe uh, this, uh, this incident to them? So I recently became a father, yes, and I, uh, I realized how it brings uh, great joy and responsibility to my life. Uh, but I'm also concerned now I realize that education and development of children is very important, and how, how to explain them, uh, so how to make sure that they get uh, the, the feeling of uh, safety and solidarity. It's a challenging issue, and this, it shows also how we should also stick together for the common purpose of education uh, to convey the beautiful messages, uh, more good morals uh, to the whole community, which is indeed what we were doing uh, in the mosque, in uh, religious uh, congregations or education, because Islam is about uh, peace and also good morals, as the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says. So we are trying to convey, cultivate good morals. And I think uh, we should also uh, be uh, working more toward that goal. Mm. 
This is where we live. Uh, with us are two members of the Dianet Mosque. This is a mosque in New Haven that uh, there was a fire last Sunday on Mother's Day. A day later, fire investigators in the city of New Haven uh, saying that the fire uh, was arson. Uh, two members of the community are joining us, uh, Ahmed Tahir Noor, a graduate student in religious studies at Yale, and Yasin Uzan, a Gateway Community College student. Uh, Yasin, I mentioned earlier that you've been attending or this mosque since uh, you were a child. I asked Ahmed about how um, the mosque community can communicate what happened to uh, the young people that are members. Uh, what has been, uh, um, I guess, the strategy of talking about this with uh, uh, young members of the mosque? Um, like, with, like, the my age or, like, the younger kids? The younger children. Oh, them, I'm like, they're, they're pretty heartbroken. They're always like, uh, when I was there, like when the fire was there, some uh, kid was talking about, oh, like, dad, where are we going to, um, like, learn now? Where are we going to pray? And honestly, hearing that was, like, really sad because I've been going here ever since I was, like, five, all the way from Bristol, Connecticut. And we've been learning there. So now, like, the newer generation there, and they're, they're talking, like, oh, where are we going to go now? What are we going to do? And, like, you know, you just got to tell them, like, just, you know, look forward. Maybe we'll have something, like, you know, nicer and bigger. Does this uh, make you feel less safe as a Muslim living in Connecticut? Uh, To me, no. Mm. To others, maybe. But in my perspective, uh, I'm not really scared of anyone, I guess. Mm. Uh, Ahmed, uh I know you've been in this country for a couple of years now. Uh, recently, over the last uh, couple of years, too, uh, we've been seeing places of worship around uh, the U.S. and around the world uh, dealing with attacks, whether uh, it's a shooting at a mosque in New Zealand, uh, bombings in Sri Lanka on Easter morning, also the attacks on synagogues in California, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. These are all places of worship where people come uh, to feel safe and to find community. Uh, what does this mean uh, to you now that this is happened so close to where you live. Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, you are right. It, the mosque uh, offered a place of worship, learning, and getting together for people from different generations, generations and affiliations. And this now we are deprived of that, uh, maybe that uh, place. But still, I think, uh, related to your question, we still feel home. So as yesterday's vigil showed us, our hearts are together. And we still uh, feel that we are there. We are not going anywhere. Uh, so today, for instance, Friday prayer will be held in the in front of the mosque, and then uh, iftars, which is the dinners, will be offered. Everyone is welcome, and so uh, hopefully uh, this will um, create awareness and will uh, contribute to the betterment of the society altogether. Uh, again, uh, the mosque is not open uh, to uh, the community just yet, but when it does, um, how do you and the members feel about, do you feel like you'll need security there? This is something that uh, Connecticut U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal will be speaking about in New Haven later this morning because of all of the incidents that I uh, just uh, mentioned about uh, federal legislation to uh, provide funding for security measures to protect churches, synagogues, and mosques? I mean, what is your thinking there? Um, so for the uh, next phase, I think uh, the local people and all neighbors are uh, with us. 
So I think we, we should do more uh, outreach and uh, everybody, I think, should feel safe and should also get to know each other. As I said, the communities are interested in, in outreach and welcoming. Um, so I can say that listeners are all welcome to the mosque. Uh, they can reach out via Facebook page or phone call. You can always find friendship, food, tea, and peace there. That's what I found. And I hope and pray that the mosque will be reconstructed in the best and fastest way possible. It will open its doors to the community, welcoming people and creating a friendly atmosphere once again in a better shape, hopefully. So when we talk about security measures such as guards or locking the doors or feeling like uh, there needs to be cameras on the mosque, this is something that you don't want to see? you think it would impact that feeling of being open and, and friendly with the community? Um, I think there should be, of course, as in any other place, uh, security, and there will be. Uh, but I think we shouldn't stress uh, the negative, uh, let's say, aspects, but we should stress the positive aspects, like the educational uh, work that is being done there and uh, the community's welcoming attitude. And uh, the other measures would always should be taken as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Mm. Uh, but I think we should stress the positive as aspects. Mm. Uh, Yasin Uzan is also with us, a Gateway Community College student. Uh, after uh, the fire, there have been a few online campaigns to raise money for uh, your mosque. And uh, I think from this morning, uh, many people have stepped up to contribute. How does that make you feel? Uh, honestly, that makes me feel great. Uh, people from everywhere is donating, the synagogues, uh, churches. And then there's like kids uh, donating money. To put on the website, so yeah, it feels great to you know have the money to you know actually start like rebuilding it. Well, we want to thank you for giving us some of your time uh, this morning. Again, Yasin Uzan, a Gateway Community College student, a member of the Dianet Mosque in New Haven. Thank you, Yasin, for joining us. Thank you. Also with us, Ahmed Tahir Noor, graduate student in religious studies at Yale, who attends the Dianet Mosque. Uh, Ahmed, we appreciate your time as well. Thank you so much for having us. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to learn more about Ramadan again uh, this month, a religious holiday being celebrated by Muslims around the world. Are you one of them? We want to hear from you. Join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're focusing on Ramadan, the holy month of fasting for Muslims worldwide. We're going to learn more about it from local Muslims living in Connecticut. Are you one of them? Tell us about how you observe Ramadan. Is it difficult to fast over 30 days? Or do you look forward to this month to help you become closer to your faith, your community? Join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome into our studios now Rafai Arafin, imam of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford, which is a mosque in Berlin, Connecticut. Rafai, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. Also with us is Mason Tarwa, a Muslim-American living in Wallingford, and also a proud UConn graduate, just graduated last year. Mason, welcome to our show. Go Huskies, thank you. 
Uh, so I wanted to start with you, Rafai. Uh, tell us, we've been hearing about uh, fasting. Um, uh, maybe some of our listeners uh, don't um, know someone who's Muslim, so doesn't understand uh, what Ramadan is. And so that's why we wanted to, to focus in on it today. Uh, it's a very important religious tradition. Tell us about the origins of Ramadan. Sure. So to think about the origins of fasting, I think one has to go beyond Islam and think about it conceptually. Uh, fasting is a concept that's found in Judaism and Christianity and Islam and many other faiths. Um, and it kind of comes from the idea that by abstaining from things that one actually gains something. And specifically what you gain is that ability to be introspective, that ability to go without and that ability to exercise self-restraint. And so you'll find in on occasions like Lent, Yom Kippur, and the month of Ramadan, it's a great chance for the individual to start thinking about habits that one wants to shed, um, things in the year that perhaps they could have changed, um, but also things about themselves that they want to improve, mm. not to even mention the social aspects. Mm. So Ramadan takes place over a month. That seems like a long time uh, to be fasting. And also for many of us who maybe have never done that before, difficult to think about. So how do you, um, I guess, get into that mindset of fasting and, and kind of walk us through how um, you get through your day? Sure. You know, a lot of people, especially colleagues and friends who aren't Muslim, who've asked me about fasting, consistently always ask, well, how do you do it? How do you mm -hmm. fast from dawn to dusk? Um, essentially 16 hours, refrain from having any food, from any water, from any intimate relations for such a long period. Uh, but it's really mind over matter. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's not really the food and the water that's difficult, but rather changing your habits and perhaps the way that we deal with each other, that's difficult. So what we'll do is we'll start in the morning with a small meal. It's called suhoor. Um, and that happens before dawn. So that's around four in the morning, actually even before that. Um, get a as much water as we can, cram a little bit of food if we, if we feel like eating at that point, and then start our fast. And that'll continue until sunset. And then at sunset, we share a meal called the iftar. Um, and that's the breaking of the fast. And, and then later in the evening, many people will opt to join the mosque and to celebrate by joining in communal prayers, which are called the Tarawih prayers. Mm. Uh, Mason, I mentioned at the start of the show, there are 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. And depending where they live, uh, their fasting might be eight hours, like in New Zealand, because of summer and winter, or if you're up in uh, Iceland, 20 hours uh, of fasting. So it's really interesting to think about um, the, the times are different, uh, depending on where someone lives, but also uh, what that means for the individual. Um, for you, um, what is it like uh, each day of Ramadan? Ramadan, um, as uh, Rafai mentioned, uh, waking up in the morning, uh, taking in some water. Do you try to have a little protein in the morning to get you through the, your, your busy day? Yeah, I mean, when you start off um, in the beginning of the month, you feel like you need a lot more than you actually need. So you wake up in Sahur and you kind of stuff your face. But then towards the end <laughs> of Ramadan, you, you get adapted. So a cup of water uh, does the job. Um, I guess day-to-day uh, -day what it's like is, is um, it's, it's really revolving around that sense of community, and I think that's really what Ramadan brings. So um, and if thought, in my house and in a lot of Muslim houses, we have a rule is like we really can't, you can't have iftar alone, right? And you're always inviting somebody to your house for iftar. 
So um, towards the end of um, like the other day we had a couple people over and then tomorrow again we'll be going over other people's homes and then in um, I know Berlin Majid for example they always have a, a Saturday iftar so um, I think in the the concept of, of breaking our fast really has to do with that, that sense of community and that breaking the fast um, with with a group of people who are kind of going through the same experience. Mm-hmm. If you're observing Ramadan this month, we'd love to hear from you, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, Rafai, I mentioned that you're imam of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford. So uh, tell us a little bit more. Um, you mentioned fasting being a practice that we see in other uh, religions. Uh, but when we think about Islam, fasting being one of the five pillars, could you describe that for us? Absolutely. So there are five practices that kind of form the essence of what it means to be a Muslim. Um, the first of which is the proclamation of faith, the idea of the oneness monotheism of God, and uh, belief in the prophets. Um, there's the belief in in prayer uh, and the practice of prayer. There's fasting. Uh, there's the giving of charity. And finally, there's the pilgrimage. So that kind of emphasizes the importance of fasting for something to not really be on the wayside, but rather to form collectively part of what the essence of what it means to be a Muslim. And I think it goes back to the idea that as human beings, we are works in progress. You know, we're kind of under construction and it's easy to be complacent. It's easy to fall into a routine or to fall into habits. Um, And Ramadan is about change. It's about being introspective, looking at yourself in the mirror. There's a narration that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said that the one who does not leave off evil speech and action by it, God is not in need of his or her hunger or thirst. So the idea is that not eating and not drinking is a means, but it's not the end. The real purpose is to evaluate yourself and to see whether you have a relationship with the divine. And if you don't, then to work on that and to try and establish that communication. Uh, the dates of Ramadan change from year to year. Could you explain why? Yes. So the uh, the calendar that we use is actually a lunar calendar, which is something found in Judaism as well. So that consists of 354 days. So compared to the solar calendar, there's a difference of 11 days. And so that means every year it moves 11 days. In North America, it makes a big difference because um, – if you're fasting in the summer, you might be fasting for 18 hours. And then if you're fasting in the winter, it's far less, about 10 hours. Um, so it's basically like a late lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of young people who are fasting in the summer for the first time find themselves kind of overwhelmed. And they find that it gets progressively easier mm-hmm. each year. Uh, Maysen, uh, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about your background and uh, where your family comes from. Because I mentioned uh, uh, with uh, the world being so diverse, you know, you may share a faith, this common faith with people within your mosque community, but you might come from very different cultures. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from Morocco. Um, so my family um, is from there. Um, I was born in France and then came over here um, when I was like, six months old. So um, consider myself very much um, part of the American fabric than, than anything else. Um, in terms of the way that uh, we really celebrate Ramadan differently, um, I would say that although the cultures, you do have a lot of different cultures that make our mosques. So you have, you know, uh, 
Pakistanis, Indians, um, Egyptians, Bosnians, you know, and the list goes on and on. And um, we do celebrate it a lot differently um, in terms of what we break our fast with. Um, but I would say the the concept behind it and the day to day is a lot more similar, which which I found interesting because a lot of times when you speak to people overseas um, and you tell them that you know um, I have a Bosnian friend or I have an you know a, a Libyan friend and you know we break our fast together, they they would assume that you know the traditions are very uh, different despite us being from the same religion. And you find yourself in your mosque that it, in fact it really isn't. You know mm-hmm. they eat a samosa. I'll eat, you know, hummus or whatever the case, but in the end of the day, it's it's all of us breaking our fast together, which um, I grew up with, so I feel f- very privileged. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rafai, tell us about uh, your mosque community uh, in Berlin. Sure. So our mosque was established in 1989, um, and at the time, there was a very small number of mosques in the state of Connecticut compared to the number that we find today. Um, it's really a unique mosque because from day one, it was established with the idea that this would serve as kind of like a beacon for interfaith activity, that it would be uh, an open and tolerant community, really from day one. Um, And we've really uh, strived in order to meet that goal. Um, We participate in interfaith uh, dinners. I actually attended one on Tuesday in New Haven, not far from where the Dianet Center is located, uh, which was hosted by the Peace uh, Islands Institute. Um, And we also host similar uh, events at the Berlin Mosque uh, as well. Our community is really diverse. um, And so we have people from all over the world, but we also have a lot of converts. We actually have a converts group for people who have embraced the religion of Islam and perhaps haven't established those family traditions yet. And so they're looking to do so within the fabric of a new community. And so we try and make our community really open for them. And one other thing, last thing that I would mention um, is Uh, Our community also has a large African-American community, um, some of which um, some of those members were born into Islam and others who converted later on in life. And so they, of course, have developed their own traditions and their own practices as well. And so that's a big part of our community. Today we're learning about Ramadan with my guest Rafai Arafin, a mom of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford, which is a mosque in Berlin, Connecticut. Also, Maysen Tarwa, a Muslim American living in Wallingford, who graduated from UConn last year. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at Where We Live. Uh, I wanted to go back to you, uh, Rafai. Uh, you mentioned that um, you know fasting really is mind over matter, and it gives you a time to reflect uh, during the day about your actions, your words, but also when we think about uh, so many people around the world who are dealing with food insecurity. And so during this month of Ramadan, how does your mosque community and others think about ways to give back to the community? Sure. I think you can't really fast for 16 hours without thinking or at least relating to what the poor go through. and, and part of it is, is not necessarily knowing where your next meal is going to come. Uh, our community is part of uh, a, a consortium of mosques and, and, and Muslims throughout Connecticut, the Muslim Coalition of Connecticut. Um, and so one of the events that we do um, is um, a program in the month of Ramadan. It's an interfaith dinner. Um, we are also involved in uh, Walk Against Hunger with Food Share. Uh, we're actually the largest faith-based um, uh, group 
that's part of that program. And also, we're part of a Mercy Shelter. So the first Saturday of every month here in Hartford, um, we have Muslim volunteers that prepare meals for the poor uh, and the homeless in Hartford. Mm -hmm. So the month of Ramadan just reinforces the importance of that. Mason, what about you and your mosque community, uh, thinking about uh, those who have less? Yeah, so um, a lot of things that we do is, is very similar to the Berlin um, Meshed is um, we work with the uh, city seat in New Haven um, in the soup kitchen there. Um, so we'll have a lot of youth go out there um, and essentially cook the meals and then, and then serve them as well. Um, we also do... Um, food banks. So we'll collect the food and then go out into New Haven again um, and pass it out to the homeless there. And then a lot of times that actually brings up conversations about, you know, us fasting and, and why we fast. And um, we kind of have those discussions from there. Um, another thing that we do is um, we go into the hospitals, um, not necessarily revolving around um, giving food, but essentially we go in and um, we talk to a lot of the people that are um, sick there. Um, it's a program that we do uh, every third third Thursday of the month, we go into uh, Yale Mahazman Hospital and um, we speak to a lot of the um, people there who maybe don't have a lot of visitors that, that go and visit. So we, we sit, we chit chat um, and share a meal as well. Do you feel like uh, in 2019 that there is more interest um, from the community, um, especially uh, non-Muslims, to learn more about uh, your faith and your traditions? Rifai? Absolutely. I think one of the positive outcomes of Islamophobia is that it's really brought people out to express feelings of solidarity, feelings of warmth, feelings of support. But also uh, at the core, there's a lot of people out there who are curious. I think it's really important for us to learn from each other. And there's something about religion for some reason that makes people insecure or concerned. You know, one of the things, you know, I, I was born in the United States. My father's from Bangladesh and my mother's from Guyana. And one of the things that we hear growing up is don't talk about religion. Don't talk about politics. And I think that's so unfortunate. I think we do have to have conversations about religion because religion touches upon the deepest aspects of what makes a person tick. You know, it, 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 it touches upon a person's values and beliefs. And if we can't talk about religion and talk about spirituality, then we're not truly going to understand each other. And we've seen people call the mosque, send emails, dozens of emails. We've people seen people stop by at our iftars. And, and really, for all of your listeners, we're located on the Berlin Turnpike. We'd love to have someone come by and visit, especially on Friday and Saturday evenings when we have a communal dinner, because it's an opportunity for us to learn from each other, engage in conversation, and break bread. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Islamophobia, um, and also we started the hour uh, talking with uh, two members of a mosque where uh, it's believed that arson uh, was committed uh, on their mosque, uh, and it's a time where people want to feel safe within their faith community and feel safe going to a place of worship. But when these things happen, Rafai, what goes through your mind? Well, as the imam, there's a part of me that that feels that maybe we need to be more guarded. Um, you know, we have, since New Zealand, we have adopted additional security measures at the mosque, and we already had some in place. Um, however, there's, it's, it's tempered by the feeling of optimism that we can't succumb to Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, racism, and xenophobia 
and that as humanity, as the American society, that there are good people out there and that if we if if that fear of of the worst possibility happening causes us to shutter our doors and to not talk to each other then i'm not sure that that's a trade off that we want to make Maysan, you're a Muslim woman uh, living in America during a time where, as Rafai says, there is more openness to learn about different cultures, but then also fear. And sometimes people um, act out um, with hate. And so how do you respond when you hear about Islamophobia or even stereotypes about who you are? So I think the climate, the political climate has changed a lot. Um, I think a couple of years ago, our communities were a lot more, our communities and our parents were a lot more comfortable with, um, you know, after, after uh, afternoon prayers, you know, we were able to go out um, kind of to the local McDonald's or local Dunkin' Donuts and then grab a coffee and then walk back and stuff like that. But I think um, the stories like with Nabara Hussain, who was, you know, targeted walking back from her mosque after that same time prayer that we pray from McDonald's and was, you know, beaten and then dragged and um, sexually assaulted and then um, eventually killed. I think that those stories do have an effect on what, how we we live our day-to-day life now. I think now that there there is that tension that does exist of, you know, maybe going out to grab that coffee in your abaya and in your hijab and in your in your garments that you wear to the mosque maybe isn't a good idea, right? Maybe you don't take that walk. Maybe you bring somebody with you. Maybe you take your car instead. So I think those those conversations are definitely being had, and I think um, that climate has has definitely changed. But with with that change also comes in our end a responsibility that, that we've seen of, of other people wanting to understand the religion a lot more than than before, right? So I have had a lot more conversations now, you know, with my coworkers and, um, you know, fellow students and alumni of, of saying, you know, what, why do you wear the hijab? Why do you um, fast? You know, why do you pray five times a day? And I think those questions are a lot more um prone to being asked now because they see that there's definitely a big disconnect between what the media is saying about um, Islam and then how I'm actually abiding by my religion. And that story that you recounted of the 17-year-old who was killed in 2017, that mm-hmm. was in uh, Virginia. Uh, Rafai, as imam, again, uh, for uh, your mosque in Berlin, when you hear some of the um, um, statements that uh, Maysen shared about feelings of security, um, walking in public um, in traditional um, wear after, um, you know, when it's time for iftar. How do you respond? What do you tell um, your members? I think it poses a challenge, especially when it comes to teenagers. You know, our mosque um, has a Sunday school that has over 400 students, um, and we serve... Uh, at least three or four hundred families, um, and I know the names of most of those kids. Um, and so, in many ways, I feel like they're my own children. And so, when I think about what they're experiencing, whether it's bullying at school, um, and I can think of dozens of examples of that happening. Um, and when I think about some of the comments that they hear, and they're as part of their daily routine, it, it is upsetting. Um, and I think that what we need to share with young people is a feeling of optimism and acceptance 
um, what they need to hear from uh, on a societal level from their elected leaders, from the community leaders, from interfaith leaders, is that Muslim Americans are, as my son said, are part of the fabric of this society, and that those few individuals who very much do exist um, do not represent what American society as a whole believes about Muslims. My guest today, again, Rafai Arafin, imam of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford, which is a mosque in Berlin, and Mason Tarwa, a Muslim American living in Wallingford, Connecticut. Uh, before we head to break, uh, we uh, talked about um, how people are more interested, curious about uh, learning about uh, your faith and other uh, faiths and cultures. Uh, but in these moments where you open your doors uh, to non-Muslims, in those conversations, you also talk about the commonalities that you have, uh, whether uh, they are Christian or Jewish or of another faith tradition. Absolutely. And I think we have a, a little bit of an advantage, to be frank, <laughs> as Muslims. You know, as a Muslim, you have to believe in four divine scriptures, the Torah, the Psalms of David, the Bible, and the Quran. You have to believe in all of the prophets, Noah, Moses, David, Abraham, Jesus, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon all of them. So as a Muslim, it's part of our religion to learn about other faiths. And I think that uh, for others, it's something interesting and something exciting for them uh, to learn about Islam. And so I think it's, it's, it's really an enriching experience for us to spend time with each other and, and to learn. And one of the great opportunities that I think your listeners might have uh, to benefit from is an initiative by CCIU, by the Connecticut Center for Interfaith Understanding. Um, there's a project called um, uh, Honest Conversations. And this goes back a few years. And, and, and I think they've had more than 70 events throughout the state of Connecticut uh, and even in, in Massachusetts. Um, and these are events that are hosted by the interfaith group. And it's really an opportunity to ask your Muslim neighbors honest conversations. Yes, we do get a few individuals from ACT, for example, one of the Islamic groups, uh, the Islamophobic groups mm -hmm. in Connecticut. Uh, they do show up. They ask their obnoxious questions, but it's fine. Um, I think it's they're expressing their views. And I think I think it's what's more important is for people to learn about Islam and to hear from Muslims about how Islam impacts their everyday life. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're going to continue uh, our conversation after the break, and you can join us too. Our number, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Where we live is coming to a coffee shop near you. Where we live has been hosting coffee breaks at local cafes around the state to hear directly from you. What issue or story in your community is not getting the attention it needs? You can join me and the Where We Live team from 11.30 a.m. till 1 p.m. That's Tuesday, next Tuesday, May 21st, at the John Bale Book Company and Cafe in Waterbury, Connecticut. More information, just search uh, for our Where We Live page on Facebook. Now, today we've been learning about Ramadan with my guest. 
us uh, Rafai Arafin, Imam of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford, which is a mosque in Berlin, Connecticut, and Mason Tarwa, a Muslim American living in Wallingford. You can join us too, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at where we live. Uh, I wanted to go back uh, to you, Rafai. We talked a little bit about the logistics of Ramadan, about um, how long it lasts. Um, but I'm curious for uh, whether it's the very young or for someone who's elderly, maybe has a health condition, do they get special dip- dispensation for, uh, to not fast during those times? Absolutely. There, <clears throat> there are whole categories for people who are exempted from fasting, and that includes those who are traveling, those who are sick, those who are chronically ill, um, and others who physically aren't able to fast. Um, and so if they are able to break, make, the, make up those days, then they would do that later. And in, if the case that they're chronically ill and they're not able to make up those days, then what they would do is they would take the disposition in which they would provide a meal for a poor person. And so in that way, they would, all of their fasts would count. I understand, uh, Mason, that you uh, work in Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, full-time. But I'm curious, uh, again, because uh, we are living in this country, at certain countries where uh, there are many Muslims, they might have a a shorter work day. But that's not something that you have the luxury of having uh, here. So uh, tell us about um, how that impacts you during your day. Um, actually, this is my first time of working full time, so it's been a little bit different than um, when I was in in university. I had the luxury in university of you know sleeping in and and waiting for the last minute of iftar to actually get up out of bed. Um, with work now, um, it is a bit different. Um, I'm lucky to have a uh, my company is a little bit more um, understanding, so I've been able to change up my hours a little bit to come in um, around six and then leave around um, two. But you know. Like the other night, um, we had a line down. I'm, I'm an engineer, so we had a line down situation in our plant, um, and I was kind of stuck there until 7 o'clock. So um, I pretty much broke my fast in the car, and I think it really comes with the territory. I don't. I think I, I know that, you know, the the hardships that I'm enduring of whether I'm I'm driving or or whether you know I'm not able to break my fast with my family. I know that I'm I'm still getting. Um, for us, we say the baraka, but I'm still getting, you know, the good deeds for it. And I'm still doing essentially what, what I was um, commanded to do and, and kind of what I, what I spiritually would like to choose to, uh, to continue to pursue. So I think even though, you know, the dynamic does change a little bit with work, so I, I'm, I'm not always able to, you know, break my fast with everybody, but I do still know that, that I'm supported by, com- by my community in, in terms of my, you know, day-to-day pursuits of, of uh, my commute with work. Uh, because you're a person in uh, their 20s, uh, when we think about uh, Ramadan, also breaking fast, tell us about how uh, young Muslim Americans, uh, what are some um, traditions? We heard that IHOP can be involved. <laughs> can you explain that to us? Yeah, IHOP and Denny's. Um, so I, after, after Suhoor, I'm sorry, after Tarawih, which is um, our last evening prayer, um, a lot of us will get together in the mosques and um, we'll go out for, you know, a meal um, right before we have to, you know, begin fasting again. And a lot of times that's, you know, in Denny's, which is 24 hours. So shout out to Denny's or, um, you know, IHOP. Um, and uh, so a lot of us Muslims kind of kind of get together there. Um, we also, you know, go out for iftar, which our parents find completely bizarre. But, you know, um, trip to Buffalo Wild Wings or, or wherever, you know, our cravings lead us. Um, 
So a lot, a lot of times it's, it's us really just wanting to, to get together kind of with the youth and kind of uh, uh, break bread and, and just enjoy, enjoy our time together. And um, sometimes that's over pancakes and waffles. <laughs> and for our listeners who might be just joining, when we say iftar, that is the meal that you have uh, after sundown? Yes, yes. So suhoor is the meal that we have in the morning. Um, and then iftar is the meal that we have at sundown. So that's after the 16 hours of fast. Mm. Uh, Rafai, what do you think about those uh, very American traditions that have popped up in recent years? I think it's great. And one of the things that we, that we find were, I think there's a perception in America that um, Muslims have some other culture. There's a Muslim culture. Um, I think a lot of Muslims think that too, which is really sad. Uh, there is no Muslim culture because it's a religion that transcends culture, race, ethnicity, and every other divider. Um, and so what, what we see is, yes, you have Egyptian Muslim traditions, Indonesian Muslim traditions, uh, Russian Muslim traditions. And I think it's it's about time that as Muslim Americans, we start making up our own and perhaps – these are some traditions that we'll pass along to the next generation. So what foods do you like to uh, break uh, fast with, Rafat? So I actually don't like a lot of the traditional foods <laughs> because most of them are fried. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, growing up in, you know, with parents from two different cultures, you know, I and also I grew up in New York. So I gravitated towards more American foods, more Italian foods, and that was something that I always find, found appealing. And so now that I'm the one cooking, so I'm like, okay, well, I can make whatever I feel like. Um, <clears throat> so I guess I'm, I'm unusual in that respect. Mm-hmm. Now, young children don't have to fast, but as uh, they grow up uh, as Muslims, do they go ahead and do it anyway because they want to be like their parents? So there are a lot of kids that think that they're fasting. <laughs> um, but they're not really. So what a lot of parents will do is that they'll they'll have them have lunch and then they'll tell them that they're fasting. So that way they can break the fast with everyone else or they'll have an early iftar. Right. So they'll start fasting in the morning and then they'll 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 have their lunch meal. Um, and so, of course, for very young children, you know, they shouldn't be fasting. It's it's too long for them. And so we wait until they reach the age of majority and, and maturity so that they're physically able to fast um, and and for it not to be a hardship for them. And what age is that? So that's typically, you know, um, around 12 or 13 years old. But my experience is that most young people, most kids want to fast earlier than that. And so we try and incorporate them. We want them to participate in the traditions and the breaking of the fast, even if it means that there's some slight modifications. Mm. Uh, Mason, uh, we're, uh, we've got just a little bit of time left, but I'm wondering, um, as you were growing up as a, a young person, did you feel like uh, Ramadan uh, was a time where you could gather at the mosque and have a good time with your friends? Yeah, I mean, every single time Ramadan comes around, especially when you're young, is like the most exciting times. Um, you'd get the lights up in the house, and then, you know, we'd start gathering the people. And I think one of the big things... Um, that that we get to happen that gets to happen in Ramadan is that you get to see your community, you get to see your friends all the time. Um, so we would gather around the mosque, uh, you know, every day. You go every day, you get to go to prayer, and every day you get to kind of go see your friends. And um, even as a younger kid, you know, you you might not be praying the whole the whole time, but um, 
the idea that your parents are like, you know, finish up your plate so you could go, you know, to the mosque and go see everybody is, was always um, an exciting thing for sure. And Rafai, uh, this year, when will Ramadan uh, end? And then tell us about the big celebration that happened. Okay, so Ramadan is expected to end on the last day would be June 3rd. And so June 4th is expected to be the day of Eid, which is the celebration that follows the month of Ramadan. And so tell us what happens on Eid. So on Eid, it's kind of this uh, celebration, but it's accompanied by this feeling of accomplishment. You know, there's a tradition from the Prophet Muhammad that the fasting person experiences two joy, two feelings of joy, once at the point of breaking the fast and once at the occasion of meeting his or her Lord. So there's a there's like this feeling like, wow, I did this. I'm able to do it. You know, mind over matter. And, and if I can fast, then maybe there are other goals in my life that I want to achieve. And maybe I can do those as well. And so... The Eid celebration is accompanied by, you know, high fives and hugs and lots of food because you didn't have a lot of that over the last 29, 30 days. Um, But it's also this feeling of spiritual accomplishment that um, maybe there were some things that I worked on in this month that I was able to achieve. Maybe we grew closer as a community with my friends and with my family. And so there's there's that personal aspect, but also there's this social thing where it's like we were all in this together and we made it through the other side. And I understand there's a big Eid carnival at Lake Compounds. That sounds pretty fun for families. Yeah. So the Muslim Coalition of Connecticut that I mentioned earlier hosts the Eid carnival, which is going to be uh, the weekend following Eid. And and Lake Compounds has been wonderful in, in hosting this event for several years now. And it's occasion for Muslims throughout the state of Connecticut and surrounding states to come together, enjoy a halal meal, and to be part of, uh, part of the fun at the amusement park. And, and you find that in many other states in Massachusetts and New Jersey, they have celebrations at Six Flags as well. Well, we want to thank you for coming in and talking to us about Ramadan. Uh, we hope that our listeners uh, were able to learn um, some uh, new things uh, today um, with their neighbors and friends who are also um, practicing Muslims as well. But also, Rafai Arafin, we thank you for coming in, Imam of the Islamic Association of Greater Hartford. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Also, Maysen Tarwa, a Muslim American living in Wallingford. Maysen, thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you. Today's show, produced by Carmen Baskoff. Uh, special thanks to, to our technical producer, Kion Wolf. Also, our digital team, Carlos Mejia and Ryan Karen King. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Have a great weekend.